Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire, burn, and cauldron bubble. Guys, which play are we doing today? Hamlet. Hamlet, that's it. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing Macbeth, the Scottish play. Um, I'm, of course, the Dean. I'm joined by Playboy Alex and uh, making his first appearance on Playboys, it's Robert. Hello. And Rax. And Rax, a dog. Now, Rax, you see, Robert, you said hello on cue. Rax should bark on cue. Have you not taught him to do that when he's being introduced? Rax does his own thing. I really respect that about him. (laughs) Mm, mm. Robert's well-trained. Rax is not. (laughs) Well, Robert doesn't, well, pee all over the floor. So, (laughs) I mean, not not yet. Not yet. As far as I know. (laughs) Was that why you were late today? Cleaning that up. This is the first thing I'm going to do when I visit your house now. Guys, we're talking about Macbeth today. Um, Robert, this is one that you asked if you could do. So this is a play that you knew, you've read it, or you've seen it, or what's the story with you and Macbeth? Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a bizarre one. My dad was crap at telling bedtime stories, so he would just tell us Shakespeare plays instead. So from a very young age, oh. I just remember the scene of um, Banco. Ban- sorry, Banquo. do correct me on any names. Banco, yeah. Banquo. Um, because I'm crap at names, but Banco at the uh, at the feast, and um, just that, that, yeah, that always stuck with me. It's just the I, you know, have a seat, my lord. Where am I supposed to sit? Well, have a seat here, but that seat is taken. That always stuck with me since I was about four years old. Mm. So there's a little bit of trauma that's involved around this play for me. Um, it is a bit of a horror story, I suppose. Um, it doesn't seem horrific from our point of view because we've, you know, we're so degenerate in comparison to when the play was written. But the sisters, the weird sisters, were, yeah, just reading that from the point of view of like even women having a conversation. That's frightening enough to a, a man from that time. <laughs> <laughs> to an extent, I suppose. Yeah, I didn't think of that. This is also, by the way, this is the only Shakespeare play that I've actually seen live like performed that i haven't just read oh um i saw this in the grand opera house uh, a number of years ago and it was a decent performance you know i didn't ring out as anything special but i had nothing else really to compare it to so i, I enjoyed it i have a kind of a love hate a, a like hate relationship with this play because the first time i read it i was in school and it was just in my own time i couldn't follow it i think it was just the language was too much for me at the time yeah then mm-hmm. I watched a version, the uh, Christopher Eccleston version done by uh, Royal Shakespeare Company, which is a bad version. Um, so I actually was going into this like, I really don't want to read it. It's it's one of his most overrated plays uh, is what so? I was thinking. 
but at the end of it, I did generally like it. Um, it was okay. better this time than the other time. So I'm glad that I kind of revisited it. Mm-hmm. It is slightly overrated still, but we'll kind of get into that later. I mean, not as overrated was, as Midsummer. Uh, but the top three gonna are going to be like Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth, and Hamlet for me in that order. But I would say that probably all of those are overrated. Certainly, people would say Romeo and Juliet's overrated, and I think that Macbeth gets the same kind of you know. But they're still my favorite. They're still I still put them as the best plays. It's just they're they're so in the pop culture and they're so revered that it's very difficult to actually live up to that when you read it you know i don't know which one came first macbeth or hamlet but i feel like either shakespeare is trying to redo hamlet with macbeth or it's him just trying to perfect hamlet yeah <laughs> like i think hamlet's earlier i think macbeth is a relatively late play not one of okay. the last few but relatively late you know and um, maybe three quarters of the way through his, his works or whatever so it's kind of late um i like this one it was the first one i read when i was like 12 or 13 as well um so it was mm-hmm. the first my first introduction to shakespeare let's talk about who's in this play um we don't need to cover like every single character because they're not they're not all important um but the main character is obviously um Macbeth himself and and lady have, Macbeth. and lady Macbeth. yes um then we have banquo who is I suppose at the beginning, he's he's equal to Macbeth, right? They're both generals in the army. Yeah, they're like best friends, I feel, at the time. Yeah. The king yeah. is Duncan, and we have his sons, Malcolm and Donald Ben. Sons aren't too important in the beginning of the play, really. They, they kind of become more relevant near the end. Um, Malcolm ties it up. I don't know if the other one actually shows back up. Donald, I think Donald Bain's irrelevant. Like Mal- Malcolm kind of comes in in the end and becomes important. Yeah. Donald Bain, we just don't really see. You know, he's a little, a little bit, then he's gone. Um, and then we have Mike Duff, and again, Lady Mike Duff, um, the wife, and he's just a nobleman. And then there's a few other noblemen who they are named, but they almost couldn't have been named. It wouldn't have made any difference. Lennox yeah. Ross, Menteith, and Angus and Caithness, they're irrelevant. They're just, they pop in mm. and again. Yeah. I feel like Lennox and Ross are the only ones that do anything throughout the play. Yeah. Um, the, the other ones who like doubt Macbeth and. Yeah, so yeah. Lennox and Ross, I guess, are minor characters. The other three or four, you could have just put, you know, enter a nobleman. Like, it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> yeah. And um, then we have, is it Fleons, who's um, Banquo's son? Yeah. yeah. And then, really, there's a few others we see later, like Seward and young Seward, who are English um, army types. But really, that's the main, that's the main cast, bar, of course, the three witches. And Hikate. And Antigone. Uh, yeah. Like the head witch, it seems like. Yeah. And, and I, the ones that's it. The ones everyone's gonna remember are going to be, yeah, Macbeth and the Witches. Like they are the characters yeah. who kind of steal the show. And maybe Lady Macbeth to an extent. Um and that's it. She's one I don't entirely get. So she really? okay. pushes Macbeth to kill Duncan. And she ends up like, all right, you couldn't completely do this correctly, so I'm going to put the blood all over these guys. And then she apparently gets incredibly guilty, saying, well, at first she says, like, I can't believe, like, who, like what you're doing. Like, I would be ashamed to be as weak as you are to Macbeth when he couldn't, like, uh, do, like, frame the guards correctly. But yeah. then she gets incredibly guilty later on and like sleepwalks and like confesses to the murders basically later on. I, I don't know. She just changed somewhere in there and I don't see where she changed. So this was something that 
uh, a point that I heard about uh, much later on was this Macbeth, it's actually a much better love story than Romeo and Juliet because Macbeth and Lady Macbeth actually do love each other. So it's about Lady Macbeth mm-hmm. doing this in a huge amount of self-sacrifice in order yep. to, you know, help Macbeth fulfill all of his uh, ambitions and potential, essentially. So she's trying to chastise him in order for him to do everything he can and live a fulfilling life. So she's completely sacrificing everything about herself and inviting all of these dark demons into herself to actually be the woman that she needs to be for Macbeth. Hmm. And that's where the guilt comes from later on. It's like, I have done these awful things for this man who is no longer the man that I love anymore. Hmm. Because some of the things she was saying, like he's got, uh, what was it? He has too much of the milk of human kindness. Yes. Okay. Let me know if my audio cuts out if I look that way as well. Um, But it's that kind of like, she never says anything overly negative about him. Like the worst thing she says is, he's too kind. And then, um, (laughs) yeah. So, well, yeah, and he, it that is, changes. the entire play is about Macbeth's dark journey into this other character. He's the hero mm-hmm. that, you know, descends into chaos. Um, so when Lady Macbeth loses her love, essentially, she loses the man that she does love. That's when the guilt, all she has left is all the stuff she's sacrificed. That's really interesting, that Robert, because my take was almost the opposite. Um, I saw Lady Macbeth. I thought that this this play was for me was quite sexist because it's depicting the woman as this evil, conniving, manipulative type who forces no. her husband to do things he didn't want to do. No, I don't. I think that Macbeth was the one who started it all, saying like, "These are these thoughts that I'm having," and she's like, "I'll help you." I felt like Macbeth would never have killed anyone if she hadn't forced him to do it. Yeah, I think Macbeth was just telling his wife this interesting story about, oh, I met these three strangers on the street. They said all this stuff. Um, Yeah, you can look at it. I mean, it's a play. It's however the director wants to interpret it. Lady Macbeth, if she's, you know, she could say, it's all down to how you interpret the words. Like I said, the milk of human kindness, it depends if you're saying the milk of human kindness or if you're actually saying it in a more positive light. I, so I took that as a, as, a ja- as a really bad jab, you know, like I'm an evil conniving woman and you stupid man are so full of kindness that we're going to have to essentially beat that out of you by making you go kill these people, you know, like you're not you're not scheming enough hmm. because of your kindness and we need to correct that. That's kind of how I read it, um, because I do feel like she would not he was never going to kill anyone if she hadn't made him do it. And he's reluctant to do it. And he's the first one to have it on his conscience afterwards. She does later, but. You know, I think he struggles with it um, more immediately. Um, but you're right. Like maybe I've read, a, you know, maybe I've pushed that a little bit too far. No, I mean, if you look at the other, like the influence of women in this particular play, you've also got the three weird sisters who they're quite interesting in their own interpretation as well. Did the three weird sisters influence Macbeth into killing Duncan or, you know, were they just telling, mm. you know, this is what's going to happen? Yeah. If women weren't in this play, would it, you know, would Macbeth have lived a happy life? This seems <laughs> kind of like the Oedipus uh, idea, right? If he hadn't known that he would have killed his father and married his mother, like he wouldn't have left his home to end up doing those exact same things. So, yeah, no, does knowing your destiny change it? I think it's giving it's giving us that, that idea that knowing his destiny 
it was going to happen no matter what, but it, it was almost a bad thing to know it because it, it made him maybe take a bad route towards it, you know. And I suppose Adam just tries to avoid but, it, but ends up doing it anyway. Whereas Macbeth takes the other route. And I mean, his wife says to him, Lady Macbeth says, you know, you won't take the easiest route, but I will. You know, she kind of thinks that Macbeth would sit around and wait for it to maybe happen in the future, you know. Whereas she's like, no, well, we can just kill the king and we can make this happen right now. So, but I, I don't like that depiction of her. I thought it was a sexist depiction of this like stereotypical kind of scheming woman, you know? I guess I never would have read it that way, though. I saw it as like, I will be your right hand in a way. Like, you want this done? I can do it for you. All right. Okay. Like, this is what you should do. And then, all right, you couldn't do it completely. I'm going to help fix this. And it's more like uh, she was, uh, yeah, I felt like they were kind of equals. Okay. I, I mean, I, and, and again, it's, right. it's, open, it's open to how they, just, how they it. really it is open to interpretation. Yeah. And um, do you think that with what I, my interpretation does that make the character make more sense to you though because you said it didn't she didn't really make a lot of sense no um i don't think either of them necessarily make it clear to why she really be- felt guilty mm. later on but uh i think that's kind of different i feel like your interpretation makes it more one-dimensional though like oh there's this like evil woman who's now behind everything i don't see it that way i think okay. the focus is still on uh Macbeth himself okay um I and think, i think that makes it more interesting i, I mean it, it probably does um i explain the interpretation of why she um kind of flipped more like so my, i think Macbeth immediately feels guilty and he's expressing it like in mm. in, in, in a wakeful state I think that she feels fine with it when she's awake initially, but she's obviously there's like a deeper consciousness there where like she's displaying her guilt while she's asleep. Whereas she's, she's not displaying it when she's awake. She's covering up quite well, you know, for my Beth, who's kind of going to pieces a little bit. So again, that played into my idea that she was the stronger character than my Beth, you know? All right. So if we're going down that entire sexist route of, you know, we're portraying Lady Macbeth in the worst light possible, it's that she's an evil, conniving woman and uh, who's not emotionally intelligent enough to understand what she's done until much later on when she's had time to process it. It's essentially, that's how I saw the character. Yeah. And that's not me saying that. That's, you know, I, I thought that was a, <laughs> I, This is not how I view women. <laughs> I, 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 I was writing the play. <laughs> I didn't like that. I thought that was sexist and I didn't enjoy it, but that's, that's the way I saw it just, you know? All right. Yeah, I see it as more like... Uh, I guess so you have Macbeth himself who he how should I put this like yeah he starts off feeling very guilty about what he's doing and then he just like he has to go with it because he's already killed so many people it's like all right I just got to keep going I can't stop like he gets dead um great yeah, power corrupts, right? Yeah. That's what happens to Macbeth. He's he's reluctant, yeah. but then once he starts benefiting from the bad things he's done, then he's like, oh, and, let's keep doing this. And maybe it that- is like when Lady Macbeth sees him start going that way, that she does start feeling the guilt, like, oh, we messed up. He's mm. gone way too far. And then you get the fantastic line, like, out damn spot, out, I say. Like... Uh, yes Macbeth does have a lot of really good uh quotes that one the one about the dagger and then uh tomorrow and tomorrow yeah it, it, he just, this is a, a very quotable play I think there's there's a good few moments with Macbeth and with the witches yeah. um but guys yeah. we will go into like a 
quick summary of the play, but first I need to ask you the all-important question. Is this a dagger that I see before me? Hmm. No. That is a pen. Uh, <laughs> I have a pen. Um, you can turn it into a dagger. Now, <laughs> is this a dagger? <laughs> that is a dagger. Oh my goodness. Well, it's a knife. Is that <laughs> Yeah, I, I had to cut some pizza yesterday. See, so this was your perfect moment, Robert, to do the like you call that a knife, and then you pull out your actual sword that you have beside you. <laughs> oh no, he's actually going to get it. How many do you have in your house? So you have three that I two, can think of. Like just, just a few actual swords. So you there have two actual Venetian. swords, like medieval style then you also have like japanese set of three mm. different swords like the katana the tanto and uh makizashi i guess and then you have that one there next to your bed <laughs> you know i always well, keep a sword next to my bed right that's okay <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know <laughs> this dog is not going to protect me from anything i've picked the dog from <laughs> <laughs> it's more like a potato on your shoulder right now and it you know it's it's, it's a venetian knife that the, you know sailors would have used for cutting a rope it's not actually a weapon or anything like that for it's, mm. anyway um moving on you really think <laughs> being a bad light um and you don't like the name dark place robert uh it's not that you i don't multiple it's... weapons <laughs> <laughs> Not that I don't like the name, it's just that nobody knows where that's coming from. Uh... Well, now it's because you've got swords. Like, let's talk about the play. Um, so we discussed the characters, um, and we've kind of more or less discussed, I think, what we like. You know, I like the play. Um, I think, Alex, you weren't too sure about it, but you liked it. I'm, I've become a bit more positive. Yeah. And you liked give yourself, it like No, I love the play. Yeah, because well, Alex, I cut you off like. there if you want to. Oh, I was just going to say, I'd give it like a B. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I think I'd give it like a B plus or an A minus. Like I wouldn't give it like a top. It's not my favorite. You know, it's not like a perfect A or A plus, but it's hmm. it's a second kind of tier for me. So for me, it's a baseline. This is stuff I compare other pieces of work to as well. Like if we look at uh, Breaking Bad or Death Note, an uh, anime, <laughs> those are two that I would look at and say like, it's such a Macbeth story where you have the hero, he's a good guy, and then he just goes through this twisted journey to become this horrific, okay. evil... Yeah, yeah. That's I fair. can see that. So let's start. Act 1, scene 1. I mean, this gets, what, 10 seconds of coverage? It's only 10 lines. Um, we meet the witches, basically. So Act 1, scene 1... Then they say Macbeth is coming. Then Act 1, scene 2. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's literally all that happens. Um, Act 1, scene 2... We have um, Duncan and Malcolm and a generic, you know, army chap, a sergeant or an officer um, with them. So this is where we're starting to meet some of the other um, the other characters. And well, what do they do? They, they talk about Macbeth's bravery in battle, right? Mm. And yeah, he comes across as a really good guy at this point. He and Banquo both. Like, I yeah. think throughout all of Act One, uh, well most of act one uh we see Macbeth in a very positive light we do yeah we see him as, as a very valiant as a, you know oh valiant cousin worthy gentleman these kind of lines you know coming into it brave Macbeth he well deserves that mm. name it's a lot of stuff about how, how good Macbeth is right mm. yeah yeah okay so I think that's really like I, those first two scenes are very brief there's not really a lot more to say about them we meet the witches and we meet some people telling us that we should like Macbeth. And then at scene three, we're back with the witches. 
Um, and this, I suppose, is where um, Macbeth meets the witches. So this is a critical scene. This is where we have the witches. They're kind of brewing up a storm, as it were, and enter Macbeth and Banquo. And this is the this is the, the, the famous scene, right? This is the crucial scene where they give him the the prophecies. One of them. Yeah, yeah, the first set of prophecies. The first set, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we get, you know, they talk about Banquo being less than Macbeth, but greater, not so happy, yet much happier. So they do kind of speak in riddles. They don't make things spelt out, you know, clearly. Um, but everything they say is also true and happens in the play. Well, not everything happens in the play, but most of it does, to be fair. Um, I would say that we don't actually see Banquo's sons having their success in the play. Um, But we assume at that point, we just assume that that will happen later. In the version I saw, like you ended up seeing Fleance stand over Macbeth's uh, dead body. And then uh, it kind of cut to black, like at the very end of the play, which I thought was kind of a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's not explicitly written in, but it's a really nice way to wrap up the prophecies, I think. That's a really, really good move, I think. Because we don't see Flans at the end. He just kind of disappears. So that's a good way to kind of yep. bring that back. Yeah. Well done. Someone improved on John Shakespeare with that little, little addition. <laughs> Directing can do that, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what do, what do you guys think of this scene? It's, it's a longer scene than the previous couple. You know, it, it does um, get to about 150 lines or so. And we do get to see our main characters. We meet Macbeth for the first time after we've heard him praised. So we, we, we're going in with that preconceived notion that he is a praiseworthy chap. He seems surprised. The, basically, they say you're already um, you're already a Thane, but you're going to have a second one, right? So you're the Thane of Glamis, you're going to be Thane of Cawdor uh, as well. And then even after that, you're going to be king. So you, you've got multiple kind of promotions are going to happen. Um, Banquo worries about himself. Am I going to get anything? And they basically say, well, you're not but you will be like the father of a line of kings. So your children will, will mm. be king after Macbeth. So immediately, I suppose they should be thinking, well, Macbeth's going to be king, but then my children are going to take over. So there's going to be problems immediately proceed, right? It's not going to be Macbeth's son that takes over. Yeah. And that plants that seed in Macbeth's mind, like maybe I should get rid of Banquo so that my line <laughs> can uh, yeah. take over. So it's trying to, and it's funny because Macbeth goes, you know, he, he believes the prophecies in some and tries to make them come true, but he also tries to make the bits he doesn't like not come true. So he's, he's like, yeah, I'm going to be the Thane and I'm going to be the king. Banquo's sons, however, I'm going to try to stop that bit. And it's like, you've got to take all or none here. Like they've made you a set of yeah. prophecies, you know, you can't pick and choose which bits you're going to accept. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess he was able to take initiative and actually fulfill the third prophecy's third promotion. Sorry, it's not a third promotion as he was already a thing. Um, he was able to fulfill the, uh, the premonition of him becoming king by actually, you know, actively taking a part in that prophecy. So it does make sense that he would try and actively stop the other one, take a role, stop or take a role in the other prophecies to see what influence he could have there. Yeah. And I suppose the ultimate, the ultimate takeaway is that regardless of which way he acts, the prophecies come, are going to come true anyway, the good ones and the bad ones, you know. Mm. Gets into that controlling your own fate type of discussion again. Yeah. Mm. Which is, which we're is all a thing. as we discussed. So. <laughs> we're all determinists, so we, we, we don't have a lively debate on this topic. We're all in agreement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rax, Rax, do you have a dissenting voice in the determinism? Because we three do not. Um, what happens then in, in Act One, Scene Four? So we meet Lady Macbeth for the first time in this scene. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
<laughs> okay, back to me then. <laughs> uh, I didn't take notes oh. as we've discussed, so you'll yeah. have to remind us of the general output, and we're here to, I think, uh, yes, So we're in the so, palace, um, we've, got, we've got Duncan and Malcolm again, and Macbeth is there. So I suppose this is the point where we've heard them say how good Macbeth is, now Macbeth comes back to them, and then they tell him again how good he is, basically. Um, so they yeah, and the for- King Duncan is very thankful, like, he is the happiest king in all of Shakespeare, I think. <laughs> he is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so thankful throughout. He has only positive things to say. Um, I mean, he, I guess he's a little negative on his sons, but, or not sons, but. Yeah. There was someone who was like a traitor who was killed. I can't remember who that was. It's, I mean, he doesn't even make it as far as the second act, though. It's, it's no. very sad. He is the, it's just that you've mentioned he's the happiest king. It's like. Ah, oh, that's a real shame. Well, now. Robert, that's because He's happiness the dies. king. But yes, <laughs> uh, he said it better than I could. Happiness is toxic. <laughs> yeah, um, and in this scene, they also make him Cawdor, right? They make him Thane of Cawdor because of the traitor, as you mentioned there, Alex. Um, yeah, the previous Thane was a traitor, still alive, but he's going to be executed. He's stripped of the title, and they say, "Well, Macbeth, you just done some worthy deeds. Let's give it to you." Um, screw Banquo, who apparently equally was involved in those deeds. Um, let's just give Macbeth a second uh, title. Because so. well, that's definitely... how much we. But he was like also Macbeth. very thankful to Banquo. Oh, sorry, Robert. What did you say? I was just saying this is how much we like Macbeth. That he had two titles. He already had a title. Banquo had no title, but nah, we really <laughs> like Macbeth. Yeah, Banquo was promised some things by Duncan as well, wasn't he? I, th- I think so. He, like he was promised reward, but Macbeth is more explicitly given a new title right now yeah. you know um so that's the difference um and yeah we meet lady Macbeth. she comes in and um, she doesn't really say a lot in her first appearance it's more just that she's there she finds out that he's got the the new title and things like that she's talking with a messenger really and then then Macbeth comes in and she greets him great glamorous worthy cawdor that's um, right and that's that's into scene five actually sorry so scene scene i've, I've combined those two scenes Scene four is the bit with Duncan, and then scene five is Macbeth, and then she greets, you know, Lady Macbeth greets him on his way home. Yeah. And we basically, these are all very short scenes. Some of these scenes are only 30 lines, you know, so we, we wrap up act one with scene six and seven. Um, scene six, we're at Macbeth's castle. Duncan and Banquo are talking, um, and again with Lady Macbeth. And I suppose this is the point where, I guess it's the point where they, they, they realize that they want to invite, you know, Lady Macbeth is starting to realize, you know, I can get rid of Duncan at some point here. And then we can get that second part of the prophecy, you know, um, because she's, she's aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that's, that's that. I mean, scene seven again, is pretty brief and um, it's just sitting in the castle, Macbeth's there. He does a big opening speech, you know, they're all back. They're all happy to, to kind of to come back from the battle and um, they talk about just going to dinner, and this is the part really where my, where Lady Macbeth does her her scamming and her her ideas to Macbeth, um, what they want to do. And yeah, in which they take like the daggers from these, or well, they get the guards for Duncan really really drunk, takes their daggers and kills Duncan with them, and then wipes blood all over them. Which Macbeth forgets to put the blood on them and to uh, leave the daggers. Which um, like, I guess, plan. <laughs> yeah, and that's like the guilt. Like I just did this. I can't. Oh, that was part of the plan. Yeah, 
and just blacks out throughout half that, I think. And she's like, all right, fine, I'll do it. Uh, yeah. And then comes back with her own bloody hands, um, which is why later on in the play, when she's like washing her hands for 15 minutes at a time, like uh, she says, out, damn spot, out, I say. Because she still yeah. sees blood on her hands. So that's the guilty conscience thing. There's an interesting line here where Macbeth says that Lady Macbeth's heart is so cold that she will bring forth men children only. Like it, it requires a certain kind of delicacy <laughs> to be able to bring forth a female child, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm also thinking that's a positive thing at these times because you only want male children like for your lineage. Which, okay, yeah. so they kill Duncan. And the sons run away. How does a lineage work in this case? Like, it's just, okay, the Thane is now king. Yeah, it seems weird. <laughs> that my, I don't know how Macbeth becomes king, really. Macbeth was, is Duncan's kinsman, though, isn't he? I think they are. They, they do call him cousin or something like that. Yeah, I think, I think there is a relation. That doesn't mean and actual cousin in Shakespearean. It's not clear. Yeah, like, it could, it could also just not mean cousin. The problem is, also, without that... It's what it has been established. We really do like Macbeth. I'd say once Duncan <laughs> was gone, it was just everybody was, you know, twiddling their thumbs thinking like, you know, Macbeth would be pretty cool as king. So, well, it was supposed to go to his sons, but the sons, like one of them escapes to Ireland, the other one escapes to England. Yeah. It's like, so But there I wasn't guess anyone else. There wasn't choice. like an old uncle still knocking about or anything. They're just like, yeah, screw this family lineage. <laughs> Let's get Macbeth in. <laughs> you know? I guess it's once you go like, American here. So once you go from president to vice president, it's just like, all right, speaker of the house. Yeah, just any, anyone <laughs> will do at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so we go into act two and we've kind of covered, you know, a little bit about what happens in act two, but we begin with, with uh, Banco talking with his son, um, Fleance. Not really a lot there. They need to talk about five lines. Um, then Macbeth and a servant come in and they say that the king has gone to bed. You know, why is Macbeth still up? What's kind of going on? Um, and this is the bit where it becomes clear that as we go into scene two, that Lady Macbeth is going to get the king's guards drunk. Um, and these are the ones that you say that they essentially frame for the murder. So they get them drunk so that they're out of the way so that Macbeth can do the murder. And then they also, it, was, it wasn't enough to get them drunk and make them shirk their duty. They then have to try to frame them for the murder as well. <laughs> mm. And Macbeth then kills them. So, you know, forget those guys. Um I, what do you think of that defense? You know, it was that defense of my battle and skipping ahead a little bit, but he says, yeah, the king was dead. I saw these two servants. They seemed guilty. So I killed them. So all evidence is uh, ended, you know? <laughs> no one, I, I feel like no one really believed that part. Like he went a little overboard there. And then there's, I guess, between like scene or like acts two and three or something, everyone's just saying, yeah, Macbeth is crazy. No one supporting him. You have a speech that I think it was Ross or one of them was saying that, oh, yeah, like Macbeth has been so great. And all of that's supposed to be said uh, sarcastically. Yeah, which is a kind of hard thing to read. But it's interesting, though, because you're right. It seems like no one I don't know if they necessarily would outright say we think Macbeth did the murder. But they don't really, they think there's something not right. You know, they, they yes. don't really seem, yes. and Macbeth is trying to say, well, look at the king's two sons. They fled, so they must be guilty. But that, no one really seems to believe that. They're just like, no, yeah. they fled because you killed their dad. You're probably going to kill them next. It's almost like they know, you know. I think they got a little and, bit, um, yeah, 
cautious about him there, but it wasn't until Banquo died that they're really like, okay, something's wrong. And the closest people to Macbeth seem to all be dropping like flies. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, also the fact that it happened in his castle. They were sleeping, you know, he was a guest. Hmm. That's also kind of a red flag there as well. Uh, yeah. Um, I've never questioned this. It just all seemed to fall into place very neatly. Um, I mean, I would yeah, like anyway, to think that if for some... Robert, I know you're not a monarchist, but I would like to think that if for some reason the Queen of England stayed in my house, she wouldn't die that night because that would cast suspicion on me. You know, that's just not one of the things that you want to happen. No, it wouldn't be like an arsenic and old lace type of tale. (laughs) (laughs) You just have a basement full of bodies. Well, I mean, look, my my okay, okay, we should probably. No, um, it, 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 you know, it, it casts suspicion immediately, right? So they're immediately suspicious of Edward? my <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, it doesn't help that my Beth acts very suspiciously. So uh, with the seeing, seeing Banquo's ghost at the dinner and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's where people start thinking, hey, he might be a little bit crazy. But, I mean, they, they do have to fill the role of king. Somebody has to wear the crown and it's like there is some sort of divine provenance uh, surrounding Mm. the how the monarch is uh, perceived and all this i can't remember where it said um but i mean they talk about the night that duncan was murdered that horses start eating each other and that is because it's so such a sacrilegious thing for a king to die um that well i know the horses like escaped they did have like the witches say like uh, like I have Newt and all this. And then they said like uh, something of like a cow that had eaten its calves or something. You might've, I don't know if that was like, right, that might be the line. Yeah. I'm, I'm remembering, but it is. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to have somebody as King and whenever the two, you know, next in line do run away, Macbeth was just the best next person to next best in line, I guess. Mm, I think so. So, yes, Act 2 wraps up with a quick speech where basically um, Macduff and Ross are a bit suspicious of Macbeth, so as we've said. And Act 3, we literally see Macbeth now conspiring with murderers. So if there was any doubt that he, you know, is he a good chap? Is he not a good chap? Maybe killing the king was, okay, it wasn't great, but it fulfilled the prophecy. Now he's like, now let's kill Banquo as well. Let's hire some murderers to kill Banquo and Fleance because... I'm going to take control of, of my destiny here. I like that they say, it's not just like, all right, thug one and thug two. It's literally murderer one, murderer yes. two, and murderer yes. three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a weird bit where he talks to murderer one and murderer two. We then cut away scene two. Macbeth, Lady Macbeth is talking with a servant. Nothing really major happens there, I suppose. Um, and then scene three, we're back to the murderers. And all of a sudden, the third murderer shows up. And the other two are like, well, who are you? It's like, oh, Macbeth sent me as well. I thought that was going to lead to something. I thought that was going to be like... Yeah. No, it's nothing. That was a bit strange. <laughs> it goes nowhere. Funny enough, I did watch a rendition of Macbeth with Siri McKellen, and it was it was mm. amazing. But they actually do play that out where the third murder does murder the other two. It's just not scripted. Ah, okay. Okay. So, guys, I think at this point, um, we wrap up Act three, there's the, the main thing that happens is the dinner scene, right? So it's the scene. Um, Robert, you liked this scene, the scene where they sit and Macbeth can't find a seat because he sees Banquo's ghost 
after the murderers have killed Banquo, but Fleance fled. So Fleance is still alive. My Beth is now going crazy. Yeah, so that, scene, that is the scene that stuck with me uh, as a four-year-old. Um, <laughs> I do feel like there's some listeners out there that are probably thinking, like, that probably explains a lot of my life. But, um, yeah, it was just a bizarre <laughs> scene. It was, it was so weird. It, it is a weird scene. I think, to be honest, that it goes a bit too far. Like Macbeth initially freaks out when he sees Banquo's ghost and they're like, there's no spare seats. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? There's a seat here. And then his wife covers for him by saying, oh, he's had this nervous disposition from childhood. He'll get over it in a minute or two. And he sits down and that's all fine. Then he sees the ghost again and he freaks out a second time. It's like, come on, man, get with the program. She's just briefed you on this. Like she's just told you to, to uh, you know, to wise up a little bit. He freaks out a second time and all the lords are like, well, we're going to we're going to go. We're going to head out here. Like I feel like I think you, it's easy to excuse one episode, but having two episodes is like ah no that's 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 enough. I'm actually done. <laughs> so I do think it feel it makes sense. Yeah, I feel like it could have gone even like more comedic, even. But that might just be because like so Blythe Spirit by Noel Coward just does it really well. It's like a guy like will talk to the ghost, like whisper to it, and the wife thinks that he's talking to her. And there's you know the comedy of errors type idea. Like, I, I don't know. I think it That's could be such kind of an fun. important thing. I know that Shakespeare does a lot of slapstick. I don't think that was time for slapstick. No, probably not. <laughs> but I think it could have. Mm. <laughs> well, we've talked about this before, but there's plays where if one or two scenes have been done slightly differently, more or less the same, you would turn the play from a tragedy into a comedy very easily. And that, you know, not you, Macbeth though. Well, hey, you could you could do it. You could you could make that scene more comical maybe slip it in in one or two other places and all of a sudden you've got a, at the very least a tragic comedy but actually Macbeth is quite quite a dark tone so yeah I mean who do you want to get married at the end of Macbeth like mm, well okay that's fair Hecate right no <laughs> we move on oh, yeah <laughs> we end we well, end this we you have two... Macduff who's a widower and then yeah right great <laughs> right. yeah <laughs> So Hecate, we have two very, very brief scenes of 30 or 40 lines to wrap up Act 3. Hecate is there with the witches. I think she adds nothing to the play, other than the fact that she's the goddess of magic, so she just lends some legitimacy to the witches, I guess. Like, it's very clear what they are now. They're not just old ladies. They are, there's a magical element. That's really all she's there for. And scene, um, scene six, one of the lords, Lennox, talks to another lord who isn't even named, but they basically said that Macduff has now gone to, to get to fetch one of the sons from England. Um, mm-hmm. So there's there's a conspiracy against Macbeth afoot. And that's where we close Act 3. Yeah. Macduff is kind of your, like, your other general. He's also that, like, white knight type of person. So once Macbeth gets corrupted, you have Macduff there to kind of be the foil. Yeah. I don't like Macduff, but we'll get to that in a wee minute because his, his big moment to shine yeah. is, is coming up in the next act. He didn't have anything really I'm in the very... first half of the play, so I do understand that. Yeah. And that's when we get into Act 4. Yes. Were you going to say something, Robert? I was. I'm still really curious why you don't like Macduff. Okay. Well, we'll get like, to that in a second. quite passionate about this. <laughs> I don't like him. So, scene <laughs> one of Act 4, we have the witches again, and is this the most famous scene in the play? This is the whole, um, yeah. well, the bit I opened with, right? Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. You've got your very Halloween-y witches making a potion mm. in their cauldron, you know, 
And this is the scene, the one scene that I remembered from when I was like, as I say, I read it when I was 13 or whatever. I always thought this was like scene, like act one, scene one, for some reason. Like when, that's when the witches are introduced. This is the most famous line. You'd think that it would be at the very beginning. You would, yeah. That's wrong. That surprised yeah. me as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you, of course you have like something wicked this way comes just, just fantastic writing for those. Like, yeah. The witches the, have some good lines. They do. They yeah. do. Um, so now Macbeth comes into the witches and he, I guess this is the second sort of prophecy scene you know, he, he deliberately seeks them out this time, unlike the first time where I guess it was an accident or whatever. Um, and he wants to know more. And I mean, they more or less confirm what they've already told him with the prophecies. But this is where he then gets a series of apparitions. Um, so he gets like a bloody child and there's like an armed head and, and a crowned child with a tree and various things like that. And then sadly, he does get to see a shrew of eight kings with Banquo as an apparition. So that's yeah. confirming that, you know, that last prophecy that he's trying to avoid, that is still going to happen. And they say to him, like, seek to know no more. You don't need to know this. But he insists. And then they show him the thing he doesn't want. And he gets very angry and, like, accusatory towards them. And it's like, well, you, you did ask twice. So we mm. didn't tell you. Um, what do you think of the second set of prophecies, though? They basically tell him that he's okay, but he should be wearing my duff. He doesn't need to worry um, other than someone not born of woman, um, which he thinks, well, that's impossible. And also until the forests, you know, move towards the castle, which he thinks is impossible. Yeah. D- Dunsinane. Dunsinane right? That's it. Yeah. Dunsinane forest. Yeah. Um, so he's thinking, okay, grand, you know, I'm not, the forest's not going to move towards the castle and there's no man not born of woman. So you did also say, but wear my duff, but we'll, We'll park that for a minute because the other two seem impossible. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that's that scene, um, more or less. And we move into scene two and we have Lady Macduff talking to Ross. This is a sad scene. Does, does anyone want to talk about this scene? It's where we see... Is it with Ross? Or does Ross leave and then the sun... She talks with Ross sorry, in the beginning, then she uh, he leaves and the sun um, comes in for the murder. This son does not talk like a child at all. Like, it no. seems like this this child is like 80 years old with how they talk. <laughs> like, way too smart, way too coherent. and <laughs> Yeah, because he starts to say things. The mom, At this point, Lady Macduff, he's like, well, Macduff has left us. Now, to be fair, it was very rude to just leave without saying anything to her or leaving word for her. But she's like, well, he's dead to us. You know, screw him. She's just very, very against Macduff. And the son is kind of like, well you know, asking if he's an honest man and is she really that worried? If he was dead, you would be more worried than you are and all this kind of stuff. And if you weren't worried, then you would have another father for me, but I don't see that here. And as you say, he's... The son is the clown of the play. He is, yeah. It, the it is just the clown. <laughs> and then Ross asks later, like, why did you leave your wife? And uh, Macduff, like, answers in a question and then they never get back to it. <laughs> and so we never really know why he left them. <laughs> Yeah, my, my assumption is he went to England to get Malcolm, and that was somehow yeah. seen as being so urgent he couldn't even, you know, leave a note for his wife or something, you know. But at least, like, like Zelensky now in Ukraine, like, make sure that his wife and children are safe and hidden. Like, you'd think that Macduff would do the same. Yeah, I mean, what I always like to do is conspire against the king, but then leave my wife and son unprotected in a castle um, for people to kill. That's, that's just the obvious move, right? Wait, so that's what happens at the end of the scene? Only she's really annoying. 
Sorry. <laughs> well, yeah. So that's what happens. Um, one of the murderers comes in and they die. Tells um, us a lot about your relationships, Robert. Uh... <laughs> Lady Macbeth flees, but the son dies. And we get the best line in the whole play. He has killed No, no, she dies too. Everyone dies. All the wife and all the children die. She flees in that scene. She flees in that scene. Yes, 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 yes. In that in that particular scene, she flees as the son dies and says, "He hath killed me, mother," which is the greatest line in any Shakespeare play ever. (laughs) Um, Little little posh boy dying. He hath killed me, mother, and and he's not too worried about it, you know. Is a scratch. (laughs) Wait, that's a different (laughs) one. But yeah, she does. She does also die. But in in that particular scene, it ends with her fleeing. Um, now we have Malcolm and Macduff, and they're in England. Yep. This is the scene I don't like. So they do and mention the that... longest scene of the play. Yes. It, uh, as some people have said, it brings the play to a halt. But I will slightly defend it and say it is the only character development we get of Macduff. This is the only time we actually get to learn anything about him. And if he just showed up at the end without this, like it would have been really strange. But yeah. Shakespeare's done that before. But I think he learned from like Winter's Tale and like how those things end. So I do, I do actually like that they have character development for him. But I do also agree that it slows the play down. Like it, it does. is. Yeah, everything else just went super, super fast. Um, yeah, I'm not I, sure what he could have done differently, though. I don't know. Maybe just the same play, same scene, but just a little bit shorter. I don't know. But I just, I didn't enjoy it. And this is the reason I don't like my Duff, Robert, because you were curious. It's just that this scene is so boring. Like, it's the longest scene. Nothing happens in it. Yeah, okay, you're right, like some character development, but it just stops the action of the play. We've just seen a murder, and now we just get talking for a long time. And you're right, they mentioned that Lady Macduff did die as well. We kind of didn't see it, but yeah. Um, Macduff. Yeah. But he doesn't out. really respond either, I guess. He's not he too really... worried. Yeah, like he's yeah. disappointed. But and he asks several times, like, my wife dead? And the guy's like, yes, I've already said that. Like, the very curse with him. <laughs> I guess, yeah, he does, like, and all of my children? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, you have a litter of children? But then the, the messenger is just like, yes, we already covered this. Your children are dead, man. Move on, you know. We're going to say it twice. So we introduce a doctor. Um, I don't know if this is oh, supposed to be yeah. the same doctor who returns in the next scene, but he just has like three lines in this. He doesn't really do much in this in this scene. Just mention that there is a, a malady. You know, he, he returns in the next scene. He's more important there, but he, he is introduced here. But you're right, the main thing that happens in this scene, we just learn, you know, my, my Duff finds out what has happened. Um, we get some character development for him. You know, he talks with Malcolm. He talks with Ross, I guess, delivers the news, but he also talks with Malcolm because he's going to essentially come with Malcolm and they're going to they're gonna go fight Macbeth, really. Um, mm. And that's, that's what happens in that scene. So that scene sets up the climax, which is, I suppose, Act 5. Yeah. I don't like that scene. <laughs> Yeah, I do like the scene with like the doctor and like the servant. I mean, they're not important characters, but we do get to see Lady Macbeth and what they think. So that outside perspective. So we're not just seeing it from the same perspective throughout the entire play. Yeah, that's so I do actually really one. like that. Yeah, so I don't. It's not specifically stated that it's the same doctor from the last scene. I just assume that it's it gotta is. be. Yeah, because why was he there yeah. then? But yeah, Act Five, Scene One opens with. And, you, you know, here's the thing. You could say this is a breach of the action, but it's done so much better than the last scene that it flows better, you know? Yeah. 
That's fair. And the doctor talks with a, a gentlewoman, you know, an unnamed kind of servant, um, for about 80 lines or so. She's worried about Lady Macbeth and that, you know, Lady Macbeth is sleepwalking. And they, this is where we now realize she has a guilty conscience because Macbeth has lost his guilty conscience. You know, at the beginning, he yeah. did have it. And, you know, it's like they swagger and all that. Way. Yeah, they swap. He loses his guilty conscience and he's just like, well, I'm going to be king and get rid of Banquo and all this kind of stuff. Now she is the one who's getting the guilty conscience while she's asleep, at least. And she's yeah. doing the scrubbing the hands and she all the perfumes can't get rid of the smell of blood and, and all this kind of thing. Um, she and doesn't... Is this, ex- this, is this the last time we see her? I suspect uh, it is, yeah. We hear she kind of she does an Ophelia herself. and kills herself off stage. Yeah, she kills herself off yeah. stage. Um, which, I don't know, is that convenient way to get rid of a character you forgot to write an ending for i don't know but (laughs) (laughs) well i think it is that guilty conscience leaking its way into her like conscious so yeah okay fair enough but yeah so she killed she doesn't explicitly state it you know she doesn't give them enough evidence to like report on she's acting weird and she's guilty of something but like in her sleepwalking and talking she doesn't say like we killed duncan or, or something you know she doesn't say that so they're like okay this strange behavior here but we don't have like a specific crime to accuse her of. She doesn't give enough away, I think. Mm. Um, scene two, we just have some of the other guys talking, Lennox and Caithness and Angus and Menteith and people that you don't care about just talk for a few lines, you know, about kind of what's going on. That's an irrelevant scene. <laughs> nah, it's a bit of a setup. Okay, it's it's a bit of a setup. And at this point, they're going to have Burnham Wood go towards um, Dun- Dunstan Castle, right. Yeah. So this is this is, I suppose, where they talk about setting up that that yeah. bit where they grab the tree branch men yeah. because that's going to make it look like there's more than one of you, <laughs> and we'll have some trees moving towards the forest, fulfilling the prophecy in a, in a weird way. Um, but I don't care about these people because we haven't cared about them yet. You know? Oh yeah, they don't matter. I mean, they should have just kept like yeah, Lennox and Ross. Those are the only two that have any sort of importance. And I do like it when they're on there, but yeah, any of these others really don't bring anything for me. They are, they are nothing. They could have been unnamed. This is the only scene they're important in, and it's it's irrelevant, you know. Um, so we move through. Then we have Macbeth talking to a servant in Act Three, and the, the Doctor is also there. Um, and I suppose this is where he distrusts the evidence that he's being. The servant's telling him, like, you know, these trees are approaching, all this kind of thing. And he's like, well, you yeah. villain, you know, you're making this up because this is the prophecy or whatever. Yeah, it's like, I will kill you if you are wrong. But then if you are <laughs> right, you get to kill me. Wait. <laughs> I mean, if you're right, we all die, I guess, really. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, I mean, we also get later on, like, uh, all of Macbeth's uh, soldiers, they are basically betraying him or not even putting up a fight. It's like, Eh. and then oh i i give up <laughs> yeah yeah i mean because because it'd be would. very interesting to uh hear back on a podcast instead of just seeing me stab and go eh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway I mean, at the end of that scene the doctor even says you know he's there to do obviously to do his work from the lady Macbeth, but he even says i wouldn't come back here if they paid me kind of thing like you know if i could get out of, away from here i would not be coming back you know so Macbeth's oh, yeah. losing support of everyone and no one really wants to kind of be around him, I think, at this point. And, yeah, and this is the stage thing. where you realize he's done for, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you, f- and then Macduff finally shows up as the six-fingered man. 
<laughs> you get that reference now, I hope. <laughs> yeah, I got the reference. Thank you. Okay. Um, anyway, yeah, so Macduff yeah, apparently that, that was, that, was not I, born I, I, of a... <laughs> Hmm? I, I got to be honest here. Um, so the big reveal is that he's not born a woman. He had a, he was born from a cesarean section from her womb, basically finely ripped. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, try explaining that to. I must have been five. So <laughs> I, you know, my dad. You know, he, he tried to do the big reveal, and I was like, "Wait, so where do babies come from, though?" Um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I mean, it's so again, it's funny. an issue. It's a bit of a word trick or an issue of exactly how you define it. Because nowadays we would consider, you know, a C-section to be a kind of birth. But, you know, what they were saying was this was not a natural birth. We had to rip the baby out. So that's the that's the loophole or whatever. You know, so that yeah. means that yeah. Matt Duff wasn't born a woman and they bring the tree. So the forest comes to the castle. And Macbeth, you really should have listened to that first prophecy that said, beware Matt Duff. Yes. <laughs> and they fight, fight, and then they go off stage. Yeah, this they, is, they fight the, off stage. They fight off stage? Yeah, I've in seen, the I've, play I've seen. itself, they say they fight off stage. But if any like director who's worth his... like, Yeah, any good director will make sure the fight's on stage. <laughs> I got the like, impression they fight, and then they go off stage to finish the fight, and he comes back with yes, Macbeth's head. Yes, you know. that is what happens. Okay. That was yeah. kind of the interpretation I had because I never quite understood. I never, it never felt satisfying because Macbeth's last words are. <sighs> I'm gonna screw up the quote here, but uh, let he who screams uh, hold be damned, hold halt be damned, and it doesn't sound like a battle cry. Like they're about to engage in this epic, it's the climactic battle, but his last words are. Uh, they're just, they're just a plea. Of stop the fight. Yeah. Those are our last two words. It, it, you know, you can't exactly shout, shout that out with scorn. Uh, it says his last words are: "It is too late. He drags me down. I sink. I sink. My soul is lost forever." Oh, maybe I'm misquoting that there. You know, really? I'm not Could sure. Wrong. If I That's just what the shows up. Is. This act is a lot of very short scenes. Some of which are as short as twenty lines. You know, it's, a, it's, it's like, like seven or eight. You know, it's very short. And it, some of the characters we don't care about. Like, you're right, we now care about Mike Duff because of that long scene that we didn't like or I didn't like. But we also have <laughs> one of my best men, Satan, who's like an, a Satan. I don't know how that's pronounced. He's an officer. We have the English officers, Seward and Young Seward. And it's like, well, I don't care. And Young Seward dies and we're meant to be sad, I guess. But even Seward doesn't seem that sad. He's like, well, he died in a good cause. That, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I don't care, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, like, how did he die with uh, like being attacked from the front or the back? Yeah, right. Like that, that's what's important here. You know? Yeah, that that did make me chuckle a little bit. Uh, and yeah, such an important scene near the end. We've got like unnamed messengers and doctors, and you know, Menteith again is there. Like, just people don't care about. It's a weird way to end the play. I suppose how else are they supposed to end it? By the way. The uh, the line was "damned be him that first cries hold enough." Oh, okay, okay, that's a a catchy battle cry if ever I heard one. <laughs> so look, we've already covered the ending. My kingdom for a horse is <laughs> probably a little bit better. We've covered the ending. You, you know, they fight off stage. He comes in with the head, and they say, "All hail, King of Scotland." It appears that they're saying, "My Duff is the king now." Yeah, that's that was kind of weird, but we know it's going to be Malcolm because Malcolm then 
comes in and uh, takes over. Yeah, Malkinson takes over and does his little speech. So I guess Matt Duff's just his right hand man or whatever now. So Matt, Matt Duff wouldn't have had a claim to the throne. Malcolm does, although Macbeth didn't. So who knows? But yeah, so they installed Malcolm, I guess. But again, Malcolm is not descended from Banquo. So that part of the prophecy doesn't come true in the play. We're just supposed to assume that it does later, I guess. Yeah, I don't know about Fleance. Yeah, that is kind of strange. Because I'm I'm wondering now, like, I never thought of it before, but what if it's just the same cycle? Like, you have Macduff who comes in, kind of like Macbeth at the beginning of the play. The other uh, Thon was uh, killed as a traitor, like Macbeth mm. was. And then Macduff kind of repeats the cycle because now you have the new king, Malcolm. He might want to try to kill Malcolm. It'd be kind of interesting to see, but I mean, his wife's dead, so. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) sure. But I would love to see that. Like, I would love to see that sequel play, Macduff, where it's more or less the same, you know, and then that gives... Yeah, like uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra. Yeah. (laughs) Or Antony and Cleopatra. Not a great sequel to Julius Caesar, but... uh, No, but it would be an an interesting... um, an interesting play i think to see that sequel you know it's an interesting interpretation because well we don't really know what happens are we to mm-hmm. assume that so i guess this leads me to the question i like that we're... openness but i know you don't yeah because well, were the witches speaking the truth then okay the second set of prophecies were were tricks that did happen but do we think that banco's sons do rule or does it go back to malcolm and, and back to the proper line of succession like did 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 macbeth cause the prophecies to come true and would they, you know, would they not have come true if he hadn't acted and if Lady Macbeth hadn't got him to act? That's the question. Ask Shakespeare. <laughs> you know, so um, there's no... We don't, we don't, interpretation. Yeah, we don't necessarily yeah. know for sure if the prophecy about Banco's sons would have become, would have been true or not. Mm. I mean, in the very early on in the play, the witches do talk about when shall we three meet again in, and they start talking about the weather. Um, yeah, two ways you can interpret that is, is are they going to wait for that kind of weather pattern to show up and then they'll show up and meet in that weather or are they going to decide we're going to meet on this day what kind of weather do we want ladies there's two ways <laughs> of interpreting those lines yeah well there's three of them and three uh weather patterns that they mention and i think each one prefers a different one like each one represents a certain like type of weather but i i might have just read into that yeah i think that's i don't know is it could be the tradition is the crow and the mother and the maiden. What are the three weather, weather patterns? I actually want to look that up now. I'm, I haven't heard I couldn't say, to be honest. It's not, not explicit in the play. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's a start. I mean, does anyone have final thoughts? or Overall, I do like how quick it was. Um, it was generally, yeah. generally positive. I do still have problems with it. Um, I feel like some parts aren't that clear and I feel like yeah Shakespeare kind of perfected this type of story in other plays like Hamlet Um, not exactly this type of story but like the kings and going into madness things like that yeah yeah I still I prefer this to Hamlet though I don't know why I just put it one rung on the ladder above Hamlet I I think that I'm not that's not such a common opinion but I don't know that's it was taught I mean Macbeth is generally well liked so I find it kind of overrated, but not as overrated as I used to. Okay. Would you still put it, w- w- would you put it above or below Romeo and Juliet? I know that ranking Shakespeare is your I thing. would still put it below Romeo and Juliet yeah. because I think Romeo and Juliet has some of the best poetry Shakespeare's ever done. And uh, there's a, so 
so much good stuff like character work in it um i i do think that romeo and juliet is as famous as it is because it deserves to be maybe like everything's copied from it these days but um no i i do think that yeah i think i ranked it like number four Hmm. uh in his tragedies out of 11 i I, for me it's the it's the best play of all but it's just the 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 death scenes and things near the end it's the the pinnacle of romance you know the end of romance is death I mean, I got my own like unpopular opinions. I think Coriolanus is like number three for me, and no one's heard of that play. No one cares about that play. <laughs> oh, I think it's great, but well, guys, final question: When shall we three meet again? In thunder, lightning, or in Venice with our merchant? <laughs> guys, have a Shakespearean day. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.